Welcome, you are listening to Ladies Who Genre, a podcast book club for ladies and not ladies who like to genre now and then. I'm your host, Morgan. And I'm your other host, Noelle. And today we have a special guest, guys. We got our in-house Terry Pratchett expert, Constance McKenzie. Constance, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you very much for having me. You are now officially a lady who genres. Well, that's nice today. <laughs> so just to get some stuff out of the way, as usual, this is not going to be a spoiler-free podcast. So if you are waiting, what is this, 10 years later to finally pick up? No, 10, 20 years? 20, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. However long it's been to finally pick up this book and read it. Yeah, like we're us. not going to hold back on spoilers for you guys. Sorry, that's, that's not how we roll. We are going to discuss everything. Uh, any triggers for us? No, there aren't any triggers in this. I mean, maybe childhood witch trauma. I, I don't know. I don't think so. No, <laughs> no, it's, I don't, a, yeah. it's a pretty trigger-free book, which is nice. Yeah. Or if you have um like a, a pixie problem in your house and you have trauma from that, this is not the podcast for you. Otherwise, it's fine. <laughs> this is a children's book, friends. It's a fairy tale. What book are we discussing? Oh yeah. <laughs> This week we're discussing We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. It is the 30th book in the Discworld series. And let me just tell you how simultaneously awesome and devastating that was for me as a completionist because I wanted to start at book one, like hardcore, and the reader for book one. Oh, I, I think there's no audiobook available for book one. And I'm avoidant of non-audiobook situations uh, because I need to do stuff while I listen to them. So uh, I decided instead to listen to Constance and read book 30. So that's fun. Fun fact, The We Free Men was listed in Time's The 100 Best Fantasy Books of All Time, the only novel by Pratchett alone to make the list. The other one is Good Omens, of course, by him and Neil Gaiman, which is definitely one of my top three books ever. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely a fantastic book. Hey, Constance, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here? Why are you here, Constance? I am I am here because, well, if I'm sewing, I 90% am likely to be listening to either a Discworld audiobook or a podcast. And you've asked me to talk about a Discworld book on a podcast. So you have you have completed my my dreams, really. This is absolutely true. Constance and I talk like, you know, several nights a week and pretty much I would say 25% of what we talk about is either Discworld or a podcast. It's always I've been listening to this podcast or I have been re-listening to this Discworld book. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I insist on telling. And that seems to have been what I've done is tell people that I'm listening to this Pratchett book from about the age of 14 onwards that's maybe a bit younger that's that's what I've been that's what I tell people it started my conversations I read in this world book and I don't know when I got to about 21 I met a girl who was about 14 and she actually said in a conversation once in a Terry Pratchett book the truth I was like okay I've just met myself and, and her and I friend. are still and her and I are still very good friends but it was <laughs> it was bizarre okay. I was like, all right this is what I was like okay <laughs> That's very funny. I'm really happy that you are here for my first Pratchett ever. Actually, it's a lie because I, you know, Good Omens is my jam. But like, I'm glad that my first Discworld book was with you. That's that makes me happy. I've only read a few of the other ones. I think I read some of the different uh, guard themed books because I know there's a, there's a couple of them and enjoyed them. But that's about it along with Good Omens. So I think it's kind of fun to have somebody who's maybe just a bit more familiar with the the world uh, on our team for this one. Hey, Constance, can you explain to us the Discworld and like how those books are structured with the 
sets of books and you can read it in order and you also don't have, you know, all that stuff. Yes, of course. So they started off, oh, he started off with writing the first book, which was, it can still be taken as an almost straight Lord of the Rings stroke sword and sorcery fantasy book pastiche. And it's almost, it sort of hits those markers all the way through and it, it could be read as that and then could be no more. But he introduced it to being on a world called the Discworld, which um, for those that do and don't know, is a world that is carried through space on the back of a giant turtle. And the world itself is completely flat and round, hence why it's the Discworld. And that's also standing on the backs of some elephants that then stand on the back of the turtle. And he says that only a world like that, only a world where magic and ridiculousness could exist, because something like that exists. So that's what the Discworld is. It is a world of ridiculousness and magic is normal. There are magical races, there are witches and wizards. Um, And then it sort of grew from there. So the second book was a sequel of the first and it still carried on very much in the sort of sword and sorcery vein. But after that, he, he sort of started to investigate the different people that lived on this world and some of them sort of have developed from there so there's the witches that live in Lankra who are in one part of the world there is the the watch series which are mostly based around the largest city that features in a lot of the books called Ankh-Morpork and they're the story of the city watch the guards the police they're they're developing stories how you sort of go from a a state of corruption and disorder to to a a state of a better place for everyone and what it goes through how it gets you there and then there are other books that are just straight pastiches of other stories completely. You could sort of, one book completely takes upon the story of Macbeth and tells it again in his own way. One book completely takes on uh, Phantom of the Opera. Some of his subjects become much more about sort of social social change and social revolution. You know, he takes on the, um, the public post office as a story and he takes on um, banking and finance as a story and gives it a spin of how the disc world would handle it, which is a world that has magic, but magic is so much part of everyday life that no one really thinks about it. And it's just normal. And gods and goddesses are real, but no one worries about them because, you know, you wouldn't, why would you worry about a God that just exists? That's, you know, they're there. No one needs to worry about believing in them. Everyone knows they're there. So it's sort of completely magical, completely fantastical. And yet with this heavy cynicism as well, that's one of the things I actually really liked about this story is it's so lighthearted and funny, but it's also like super deep and super cynical at the same time. And it's like, it's amazing that he can manage the both of those things at the same time. It's like light and fluffy and like a fairy tale and also an absolute commentary on childhood and children versus adults and stuff like that. So like that, that part of it was super amazing. And that makes me want to read more of these books for sure. So now that you've given us a fantastic introduction to the sort of fantasy satire world of Terry Pratchett and the Discworld, uh, do you want to share with us what your your drink pairing is, Miss Constance? Yes, of course. Well, I had to go with special sheep's liniment, which <laughs> either is turpentine or possibly moonshine whiskey. I'm not quite sure which. I think it could be could be either one, depending on which bottle you pick up. Yeah, I picked moonshine because that's our like analogous corollary that happens here on actual round world yeah so (laughs) (laughs) in story i think it's just what she happens to kind of yeah call it that's her moonshine yeah yeah so i got a bottle of moonshine i decided to be the sober one for today's podcast and got some milk uh, which is discussed in the book but also something a little bit more appropriate for our nine-year-old girl protagonist character to enjoy since you know the liniment isn't exactly for her and also she deals with milk a lot she like makes cheese and stuff yeah she's a fan of milk she's a she's a dairy queen herself (laughs) 
Shall we on on with the opening line of the book? Let's go. Some things start before other things. It was a summer shower, but it didn't appear to know it. And it was pouring rain as fast as a winter storm. I like how already, like literally immediately, you're getting just a little bit of that humorous way of referring to things, but not like, I I don't even know the word for it. I've seen several authors do it. Terry Pratchett, of course, absolutely being one of them. But just this way of describing things by what they're not. And yeah, <laughs> it's very fun. This is a thing in a, a lot of authors that I really like, I really like Douglas Adams, and I really like New Gaiman, and they both also do this. Mm, they, and if you are a fan of those two writers, Terry Pratchett is the reason I think both of those writers write like that because he seems to have this style in the bag, like ultimate British dry humor that just says something hysterical and then moves on without acknowledging it in any way. So just to give a very quick overview of the book, we have our hero protagonist character, Tiffany. She is nine years old, lives on kind of a remote village sheep area, not exactly a big city. And her brother ends up getting stolen away by fairies and they have to go rescue him back. Yeah, although I don't think they know that she, that he got stolen away by fairies. I think they think he just wandered off. Constance, resident expert, go. <laughs> I think it's, it's more she notices strange, strange occurrences before the little boy's before, before the little boy vanishes, doesn't she? She starts to see things from other worlds that shouldn't be there. And so she starts to investigate why why she sees yeah. she starts to see various monsters, doesn't she? And there's also the, and then and then also these strange little blue men that warn her about these monsters. So she sets out to look for them, and in the process yeah. realizes that her her brother has has vanished. Realizes that if she goes and says to her goes and says to her family, "I've started seeing things, and I think they've kidnapped kidnapped Wentworth." She'll either be told off or told she's got a ridiculous imagination. So rather than bothering anyone else. She decides mm-hmm. to go out and sort it out herself. Yeah, I feel like for a world that's so sweets. full of magic, and also they introduce her grandmother, uh, Granny Aching, who was definitely a witch in my book. Yeah, do you agree with that? Yeah, nonsense? yeah. Um, so she mm. has yes powers, I would say. Although Tiffany learns through this story what her powers were, sort of, and how they work, which is just because it's not. It doesn't stop being magic just because you know how it's done. Yeah, I think exactly. it's a sort of repetition throughout the book that she she thinks her granny's magic when she's a child because everyone thinks their their grandparents are magical because her her grandma can bring dead lambs back to life. Yeah. And all it is is that her grandma knew how to warm them up when they were born too early and there was something else. Yeah, and so it's it's like it's it's astonishing to me that her parents are so like normie about everything. Like they have it's like they don't recognize any of the magic. They don't acknowledge the grandmother in any way. They don't acknowledge that the kids can see stuff. Like they're just completely oblivious that they could be using this as a tool to find their kid. I've also realised that though this book is part of the Discworld series, and as we've said, it's it's a sort of young adult take on it. It does naturally introduce the Discworld as being where it's set. It's it just introduces the the chalk and the wold, which if you've read Discworld, you think, oh, well, this must just be somewhere we've never been to before, and that's why we haven't heard of it. But if you were reading it as a nine-year-old or as just as someone introduced to it you just you don't even need to know it's a magical world actually do you it's only Mm -hmm. as the magic is revealed to Tiffany that that you're realizing it's there so I think that's a lot of people thought when it was first written or why has he done this and not not actually said it's the disc world 
but if you read it and you if you if you love the books you know it is and if you don't know that it doesn't matter then you can just read it you can just read it and accept it as this this place that that's what I happen, did these things happen I happen. was just yeah. like these things happen happen and so Tiffany like sets off because she her brother wanders off or whatever and she and she hears from the little wee free men who she meets who are causing havoc a little bit in her dairy so she sets off and she like immediately encounters monsters like from the second that she's out jenny green teeth first thing she takes a frying pan and whacks her and everybody's like oh she used the frying pan like the frying pan whacking was some sort of magical magic this is the first hint that magic is just knowing how to do stuff and also it's the most I think Tiffany uses the frying pan because she thinks, oh, it's 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 large, it's heavy, it's the one they say that can cook all the breakfast for all the farmhands. But it's also made of iron, and if you do exist in a magical world, then iron's often the thing that can beat fairies or beat the elves. So there's something in Tiffany knows that, yeah. well, number one, it's something I can just take and use as a weapon, but number two, it's got there's something about it that can fight these forces, and she sort of she knows that somewhere deep down. She also really early on meets a witch in town and tries to convince this witch that she wants to like basically go to witch school and learn do you, witchiness. Do you like that? Because Tiffany has an idea in her head about the school of the school of witches. So I think we all know what, you know, we all know as in, in our world what world she's thinking of. And she's in for quite a surprise that there isn't a Hogwarts on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I was like, I want to go to witch school, witch school too. I, I feel really strongly about that, actually. So um, I really like Tiffany. She's introduced immediately as a very practical little girl. Uh, as a 43-year-old woman, I read this nine-year-old just going like, I actually want to be Tiffany when I grow up. She's awesome. Like everything about her is logical and matter of fact and she knows she may not know what she's doing at all times but she knows that she can like figure it out she doesn't seem super intimidated like intimidated into a position where she wouldn't just go do something she's very um like I said matter of fact yeah and and deeply practical yeah. the measuring of the soup plates I love she she goes looks up so she encounters Jenny Greenteeth that she's a monster in the river that she knows shouldn't be there because the river's not even that deep and then so she goes home and she looks up Jenny Greenteeth in a book of fairy tales and is and she's just annoyed by the romance of the book, isn't she? She's like, why didn't they just say with nine inch wide eyes rather than having to say soup plate size? Because then she goes and measures a soup plate to check. And, I, <laughs> and it's just deeply practical. Yeah, and she has no idea that there's like a hundred different kinds of soup plates, right? So she's like, they're they're therefore nine inches and that's how it is. Would be much would be much more sensible just to give the size of why didn't it do that in the first place? Yeah. And every time she encounters an actual adult who is frequently a witch in this series, uh, unless it's a fairy or of some kind, but uh, th she explains these things to them, and they sort of give her one answer, but are also thinking a completely different thing. Like they're like, "Hmm, okay," but inside they're like, "Oh my god, she figured out to measure a, you know measure it and figure out how big it is." This kid's really practical; she might be a witch. So, like, they pretty early detect that she has mad witch material, but they're, like, not letting her know that she's probably in line for that. But everybody's kind of like, shah, 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 shah. you know, Granny, Anking, Granny Aking's granddaughter, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. I don't quite understand why, though. I think most nine-year-olds aren't very, very practical. Like, they would never go measure the soup plate. Yeah, but why not just talk to her about what's going oh. on rather than be all cagey? Yeah. Constance, any ideas? 
Or Miss Tick, who's the, the, the witch finder, I think she gets called, doesn't she? Which is a play on the witch finder general. Which is so funny because that's part of, of Good Omens, <laughs> right? Is the witch finder general who goes and like kills it, the witches. Yeah, but she's a witch finder that finds finds witches with potential. <laughs> so she finds young girls with potential to be a witch and takes them to an older witch rather than, yeah. So she's convinced that the chalk, which is where Tiffany lives, can't grow a good witch because the ground's not chalk's too crumbly and not solid. Enough. Yeah, the soil's wrong. It doesn't have enough. The soil's wrong yeah, for yeah, witch. Yeah, you need certain growing conditions to get a proper yeah. witch. <laughs> <laughs> and she thinks the chalk's just not good enough. Which is very funny because uh, at the end they actually reveal that the chalk is one of the better places to grow a witch because it actually it's, it's built. It's built on an even stronger foundation of flint. I yeah, think, yeah. Is the, yeah. Like just because what you see on the surface is something doesn't discount that there might be stuff underneath. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mi- mean mean about this. It's like a, it's a super deep book. Actually, like this book has a lot of life lessons in it, and at the same time, is absurdly silly. Yeah, it, it's kind of all cloaked in absurdism satire. T- you know. Yeah, it is a modern fairy tale. All right, I think. We have the basics of what happened, and I'm sure more will get revealed as we we chat along, but I think it might be time to talk about favorite characters. Can we can we have a moment with the Knack MacFeagles? The the wee free men who for Are they the your favorite is... character? Then yes. No, Tiffany's my favorite uh, character. Of course. Okay, fine. <laughs> How about as your second favorite character? Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, go for it. So, Constance, <laughs> can you explain to us the Knack Feagles in general? Because the book is named We Free Men, so it's important to know who the We Free Men are. So the We Free Men, they have been introduced in a previous Discworld book called Carpe Jugulum, where they are introduced as We Free Men or the Pixies, which is obviously a play on Pixie and Picts of Scotland, because they seem to all be six inches tall, Blue tattooed, um, drunken Glaswegians <laughs> is one description of them, but they're not Glaswegians. They just they just happen to speak with a very strong Scottish accent, and they are they are fairies of a sort, but they've been kicked out of Fairyland for fighting, drinking, swearing, and and rustling sheep rustling. I think so. They are they are fairies. They are pixies. They they live they live in the mound of a dead king. And because they're only six inches high, their whole their their whole world is in there, and yeah, they just think the world they're in is marvelous because there's there's sheep to steal, there's alcohol to drink, and no one and no one can really see them because no one really wants to acknowledge they're there. So the whole world is it, just theirs to rule. They're absurdly they're strong, so they can like abscond with whatever, and their favorite thing to do is steal stuff. So this seems like the perfect world for them to be hanging out in for sure because they can have yeah. whatever they want nobody notices them except weird little nine-year-old girls who take over their entire mm. tribe like basically she catches them in the act and then suddenly they are subservient to the, to her and for a very long portion of this book you don't know why i don't know i feel like she shames the heck out of them right upon yeah them. like excuse me you put that right back like yeah i feel like that alone is good enough to be like oh shit she caught us and uh sorry ma'am yeah. yes yes i'll put it back my bad yeah like i I don't, I don't need more reason than that yeah it's not weird in the book why they're doing what they're doing because like you immediately do it. but i mean they are in fact told about her and that that she's granny aiken's granddaughter and blah 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 you find this all out later in the book but they immediately are like oh oh crap and then they just start doing whatever she tells them and in fact at one point she does actually become their official leader uh through 
a series of rituals. A series of events. <laughs> a, a ritual. <laughs> a series of events. Yeah. Don't they call her like a tiny hag? Oh, there we they go. Call the, big the big wee hag. <laughs> Their the names are hysterical. Yeah. So, so every everyone's yeah. big to them, but she's only a little girl, so she's wee. And she's definitely a witch because she's they because that you realise that although they appear to be there for the fighting and the drinking and the stealing stealing sheep, they've actually also worked with Granny Aking, yeah. who was a shepherd on the hills looking after the sheep. You realize you discover through through talking to them that actually they have a sort of a, they had an agreement with with Tiffany's grandmother, and so they never stole Aking sheep, and they always found lost lambs, and in return for that they 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 would also steal steal the the um, the alcohol brewed by the by the farmers and maybe you know maybe when a when a sheep got a bit past it you know maybe maybe it would just you know fall off fall off a cliff into the into their bonfire and they could all feast on it but you know it was all an arrangement you know nothing it's funny though that they didn't steal sheep from her they must know i mean obviously they do know she's dead because it was a big deal to like the fairy world when granny aiken died but uh the, the way she catches them, one of the ways she catches them is a sheep rises slightly into the air and then starts <laughs> moving off. And she's like, um, excuse me, Backwards. bring that back. <laughs> and they're like, oh, 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 okay, sorry, 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 let me just put that down. So, like, <laughs> they immediately went back to stealing aching sheep. <laughs> and then immediately yes. weren't stealing aching sheep because she caught them and now she's in charge. And they have figured out, oh, crap, this is a new one. What is your favorite? Who, who is your favorite? Constance, like, what is your what is your character of choice? I mean, obviously, mine's Tiffany just because she's awesome. I I do love Tiffany as well because, but I think mine is also because I've read further on. It's it's also the character Tiffany grows into, so she has a lot of potential here. As a how old does she get in these books? Like, it's, and, so Tiffany is a series within the um, Discworld. Like, you can read these as their own series. You could just so she's 17 by the last book which is called the shepherd's crown which in a way is a is a is it is the final discworld book so it actually incorporates a lot of other elements but it, tiffany is the main the main element but the other the other four, three books with her in are very much her own story but she grows up a little bit in each one and they are i've got to say this this despite it being most definitely a fairy story it does have some very grown up and social issues in it about how you know with with granny aching dying she seems to also not only have been the land's witch and and the finest shepherd but she was also the moral compass for for where they live and you find that um one of the things that Pratchett really likes to talk about is sort of not mob behavior but when you don't have someone who acts as a social conscience for a place that you know it all turns to gossip or it turns to rumor and you find people ganging up and being cruel to other people because you haven't got that moral compass there. And that that's something that sort of continues in all the Tiffany books of, you know, of human behavior and how One to of the things I got out of this actually was the concept that moral rightness and power is the ultimate power, actually. Because there are is a what what is the leader of this town called? Was he Baron a Duke? Was he so and so? He's the Baron. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a baron in this town and technically he owns all the land and he, all the people that are there are his fiefs or whatever, you know, like there's his servants of some sort, but he still bowed to Granny Aking and he is going to bow to Tiffany going forward. And it, well, I mean, that's very much implied. I don't actually know if that's true, but it's because of the moral compass and the moral power that Granny Aking showed him that he bows to her 
So it shows you that the power that comes with morality is the strongest power in the land and way stronger than any kind of like legal power. Yeah, I mean, I would say to some extent for for that reason, Granny Aching was my favorite character. Tiffany is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I would, in a way, argue that this whole book is telling her story in the background a bit because she is she's died before the book started so it's all through little bits of memory in in tiffany's eyes uh that we hear about granny aching and through interactions she's had with the we free men and so on and so forth it's it's this very interesting way to get to know somebody without ever Mm -hmm. actually having that character talk on screen so to speak uh which is very interesting and i think I, again, I really love this concept of that her magic was, yes, in a way, magic, but it also really came down to it was wisdom and experience, which is very Yeah, cool. definitely. And I would say Granny Aching is a main character in this book, even though she's dead. Like, she is omnipresent at all times. If someone isn't directly talking about her, she's being referred to in some way, or Tiffany is learning a lesson and then going, oh, this is why she did that throughout the entire book. Mm-hmm. It's that realization of growing up of why your parents, or in her case, your grandparents, do things, isn't it? You know, that, that is a mystery to you as a child. But as you grow up and you learn more about them, you realize what shaped yeah. them and who they are. And that's what Tiffany's definitely learning, even though her grandma's been—is it? Is, her grandma's been dead for two years, I think, when the book starts. But she sort of sees that the world is Tiffany's world is sort of falling apart because yeah. that anchor isn't there. It was also really interesting yeah. because Granny Aching apparently didn't really pay attention to any of the kids, but she seemed to have been paying attention to Tiffany, like more so than the rest of them. She she saw that her successor was had been yeah. born and was yeah. there, um, but also sort of left her to get on with it as well. Didn't didn't tell her yeah. that's what she was going to be. One of the things I really really liked about this book was that the relationship of the adults in this book to the children was very similar to how my family was when I was growing up. Which is, one, they didn't really treat me like a child. They just let me get on with it. And two, I this was... Bef- okay, guys, I'm old. But <laughs> there was no helicopter parenting like there is now. Like, I was told to go outside when I woke up. I was handed something for lunch. And then I was not allowed back in the house in some instances until after dark. So, or when the sun was setting. So, like, I was pushed out the door to go do stuff and, like, entertain myself and whatever. And I ran free nobody worried about me. That wasn't a thing when I was little. And the, and the adults sort of like almost just didn't pay attention to me. And that's the same with her. Like they almost just don't pay attention to her. They let her like live her life. You know, they she has pretty intense chores. Like she makes cheese and stuff. Like I, I don't think at nine, I could have probably made cheese, but you know, like, and she wanders off for an entire day and then manages to like send notes back to her parents that she's fine and don't worry about her. And they seem upset that she's been gone as long as she has, but they don't seem to be more upset than the little one was gone. So I, I actually really liked that they they didn't chop her or parent her, which was pretty cool. I think one of the things that Pratchett talked about as well is that actually Tiffany was the cleverest yeah. person in her family. And there was almost a, a fear of her parents, of, of someone being more educated, that not knowing how to not knowing how to mm-hmm. do handle that. So instead they acted like it 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 wasn't like there. Like she wasn't didn't, there. Didn't think about it. And that's something well, she wasn't. There. It does change later because they because because she's spoiling guys. things away further ahead. But <laughs> no, give it to I me. Know, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, but 
Tiffany's status as a witch is recognised as someone that you go to when there's a problem and that does change. So her parents become much more sympathetic, but also they are they are still looking to Tiffany as, as to what to do in different circumstances, yeah. different situations. I mean, she's... The thing about education is part of it is that I, the line I like is that Tiffany read the dictionary all the way through because nobody told her you weren't supposed to do that. So she's got a, a very broad knowledge of words and what they mean, but but doesn't always quite know how to use them or how to say them, which I really enjoy because that's that's reading in your head as a child to an adult, isn't it? There are some words that we will probably have never said out loud because we've always ever read the book. And then it's only when you have the conversation with people, you go, oh, oh, is that how it's said? I do that all that the time. In fact, Miss Christine and I keep having this conversation about the, like in the 18th century sleeves, those little lacy things that poof out. Ingenant. <laughs> right? That That's how it's said, apparently. <laughs> and like, we had to ask Abby because we were just like, what? What? <laughs> that is, we're like, agony. <laughs> so like, I get Tiffany 100%. In fact, the thing that made me love her instantly was at the beginning of the book, she's sitting there contemplating a word and sort of saying it over and over and over again. Do you remember what that word was? Yeah, susterous. And she keeps saying that. And that is exactly what I would do. Like, I would sit there going, susterous. I like, like, I, <laughs> I like rolling words around a little bit. And when she, when that was like the first thing that I read in the book, I was like, yes, I like this little girl. This is exactly what I would do. All right. Did, did either of you guys have like scenes in the book that were particularly your favorite? There was something very, very fun about all the mental imagery of what the McFeagles were up to. Uh, Nack McFeagles, sorry. When she saw the sheep moving backwards, when she saw like them stealing an egg from underneath a chicken, when they then started to like, oh shit, she's on to us. So they like helped her fill up some pails of water and you know help her do her chores, basically. This this yeah. sort of out of the corner of your eye, just barely being able to catch movement and she there's something very fun about that pseudo introduction scene that we're getting between yeah. these two characters. Obviously it, it's a whole people of characters, but you know what I mean? And then she like immediately realizes she can harness this power mm. like to do her chores or whatever. And like at the end she uses them to scare people, which is super fun. <laughs> uh, Constance, do you have any favorite scenes in this book? I'm pretty sure you're just like the whole book. I love it. <laughs> I am I am a bit like that. I, I like the bit where she's visited the Nakmak Fiegel in their mound and she's met the Kelder who is the mother and the leader of the tribe and it's explained that that the, the there's only one woman it's a bit little bit like a, a beehive isn't it there's one there's one queen and there's all the all the bees or in this case all the Nakmak Fiegel and the Kelder's dying and she says that Tiffany's going to have to take over for her until a new Kelder can arrive. Why did arrive. they do that when she did have and a then daughter? She has to, because it, it, it does say that it's because she can't. It's because she can't. Oh, be because all of the boys are her yeah, brothers, absolutely. basically. So she has to. Yeah, it's, all it's the kind boys of that, apart, uh, from, uh, apart from a few uncles are all her. There's brothers. only one girl, and she, I feel like she but needs Gargamel, to move away. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was about to have a Smurf diatribe because I like <laughs> there guys secrets right now. There's a reason I don't eat blue, and it has to do with Smurfs. So I'm not kidding. All right. Yeah. So I was like, but Gargamel made her. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> well, actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was super into all of the dream sequences. Like, so at some point she, the main bad guy, which you actually don't find out until way late in the book is actually the queen of fairy. And she has to like sort of do 
I would say dream battle with the the Queen of Fairy, and all she has to do to win the battle is essentially wake up from the dreams. Is that accurate, Constance? Like it is reading it or listening to it being read to you is really what happened is kind of like a dream sequence in and of itself because most of the time you're like wait a minute what's going on wait a minute what's going on in the same way that you would be in your dream but it seems like all she has to do is realize it's a dream and wake up from it in order to take power over it is that accurate yes she has to it starts off that she crosses into the queen's realm which is fairyland it's narnia it's all of those things isn't it it's got very narnia aspects in some ways that it's it's winter but while you're there, you fall into your you you fall into a dream, and it might be your dream, so it might be a nightmare, uh, or it might be somebody else's dream. So she ends up in other people who are also trapped in fairyland's dreams within the within the dreams. But yes, the, but the final way she defeats the queen of the fairies or the queen of the elves, because she's a character that's that's been in a book previously as well, and and she's 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 not got any better. She's a she's a very wicked wicked queen. Um, is that the final dream? Is that I think I think it finally is they tumble back into Tiffany's world and the queen comes with her and that's when Tiffany realizes that the power she needs and the power she has is in her land and that's enough to defeat the queen and send her back to So back one to thing I realm. kind of didn't understand is it literally dreams or is the fairy queen making it reality by sucking in things from other worlds cuz the fairy queen uh, can open doors to other worlds that's how you can get into fairy etc cetera, etc cetera. She's creating dreams within fairyland. So, yes. Is Tiffany as- actually asleep, or is she awake seeing these things? I think she is. A- she is awake, and she is physically okay. in fairyland. Because, because in when the Queen of the Fairies has been in a previous book, fairyland is there, and again that time you cross in, they cross into fairyland through a circle okay. of standing stones, and so things can pass through. This time they pass through. Sorry, the Outlander music is playing in my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 it's. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So she is awake, but somehow she needs to realize that it's fake and quote unquote wake yes. up from it, even though she's already awake. Okay. It's very yes. confusing. Like like I said, it is very yeah. much like reading or like being in a dream when you're where it's being read to you because stuff just changes and it changes really fast and uh, everything it changes, but you're also like okay with it. You know how like in your dreams like weird stuff happens and you're like I guess that's how it is and you just keep like going on with life. <laughs> And I like the comment of that, you know, she gets trapped in a dream originally, initially that's her own home, isn't it? And at first she thinks, oh, it was yeah. just the dream and she wakes up and the cat's there and her mother's there. And then she realises the the inconsistencies and it's not. But the next dream she gets trapped in mm-hmm. is somebody else's dream. And it's something she's never it's experienced. Like yeah. Um, it's very labyrinth as well, that scene as well, isn't it? It's sort of very... Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The whole labyrinth thing is what I thought as soon as they said, my brother's gone. I instantly went to like labyrinth. When was this book written? Was Is this before or after? Ooh, after early labyrinth? 2000s. Oh, okay. Okay. So after, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure after. One of the big influences on the Fairy Queen story is um, Pratchett really loved a band called Steel Ice Band, which I also really, really love. And a lot of it is traditional folk songs from British history and Scottish history and Irish history that got turned into sort of uh, folk rock in the 70s and Pratchett really loved them but a lot of them are about the qu- the Queen of the Fairies is often a character in them so one of the stories is Tam Lin who was stole- her human boy stolen by the Queen of the Fairies and his true love has to steal him back 
and there's quite a lot of analogies to Tamlin in this story, like the queen being on a white horse, and when Roland, who was the boy that also got captured by the Queen of the Fairies, he's on a on a black horse, which is the horse that Tam Tamlin would ride. And there's another song about uh, called Thomas the Rhymer, which again a young, a pretty young man is captured by the Queen of the Fairies. So all of those aspects are being woven into these it these queens as well. are like really like baby snatchers like what is up with that like can't they just like breed They're... get your own baby and then you also th- you know think of um the wicked witch yeah. from narnia as well sort of stealing boys and feeding them sweets it's you know this is why i think the stories of fairies are always quite interesting because they yeah you get the changelings and actually comes from like yeah, as you they're... said it comes from kind of like folktale fairy tale from tradition from weebeck not actually necessarily like yeah from labyrinth or from Right, right, thing. Yeah. Like it's good to keep that in mind that oh, all of these things are actually drawing from this baseline yeah. fairy tale. It's just interesting that everyone mm. grabs that queen got to grab a baby, and you're like, what queen? Queen should just have a baby. Get your own baby, lady. You're a queen. Maybe you can't baby when you're queening because queening takes too much energy. I don't know. Maybe there's something. Can fairy queens not breed? Mac Mac Feagles can breed. That's for sure. What is I I I need to know the the logistics of the Mac MacFiegel breeding cycle. Is this ever discussed in any of the? It is discussed. Okay, great. Because <laughs> <laughs> one woman seems to have hundreds of babies, and I think one at one point they're like, "Oh, she could probably have twenty at once." Like, and yeah, I was... they pop out like little peas. I think is how it's described. Oh God! Oh God! The visual! Oh God! <laughs> little redheaded peas. Okay. Cool. <laughs> also, their naming structure is hysterical because they've like <laughs> apparently run out of names. So, so there's this one guy who's called not as big as medium sized Jock, but bigger than We Jock Jock because his name is Jock, effectively. But he's not big enough to be the big Jock, so he's got to wait, or even the medium Jock, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so he's got to wait until Jock Medium dies in order to get that title. <laughs> so they just named him this really long name which i'm just like okay but then there's like also there's rob anybody and you're like how did rob anybody get named he likes to rob anybody is it... oh i thought his name was robert like rob is a short for robert <laughs> well, well it, it is but it's pratchett loves a pun <laughs> yeah and it's rob anybody okay yeah. yeah but he does get he does get called robert sometimes when he's in trouble as well oh yeah okay great that's perfect <laughs> yeah i i love that kind of like cheeky style of humor with lots of puns and lots of like references yeah. back to itself over and over like in an absurd sort of way it's very fun yeah it's the, the bigger than we jock jock but he talks about how his name is so important to stories of Fiegel's past and she just thinks they must have been really long stories <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is actually my absolute favorite kind of humor. Like, this is why Good Omens is so high on my list and stuff. Like, British dry base humor that does not acknowledge its own funniness, but sort of winks at it, is my absolute favorite kind of... Like, I have this, like, list of loves and hates, and there is nothing on the hates about this book. Like, I literally only like this book. Did you spot the bit about how Tiffany gets out of marrying Rob anybody with the bit about the bird flying to a mountain... To sharpen its beak. It's the same bit as Good Omens. Yeah. Pratchett just loves that Tiffany- analogy. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Tiffany is a genius, first of all, because she just like comes up with this like pretty fast in order to get herself out. Okay, so let's talk about that. So at some we we started talking about how the uh, Kate, what is her name, Kegel, uh, Kelder. Yeah, <laughs> we talked. We started talking about how the Kelder 
is dying and Tiffany gets nodded at. And so when you get made the Kelder, immediately the boys have to propose to you, essentially, because she has to like essentially get a husband and start making her own continuing the trial peas as it were um, <laughs> and so uh a bunch of them are thinking about it and they shove rob anybody forward basically and so rob rob does the deed and proposes and she essentially has to say yes and pick one in order to be the kelder as far as i can tell is that correct yes okay so she chooses that the person, but she also gets to choose the time and the date of the wedding. So she chooses that she will marry Rob anybody when a bird flies to a mountain and sharpens its beak every day. And so when the mountain has been completely demolished, she will marry Rob anybody. So that gives her a bunch of time to figure out how to get another person into this position before she actually has to marry this guy. And And frankly, Rob anybody is like, yeah. He's credibly relieved. Yes. He's, he, and he also admires her. He realizes what she's done that she doesn't want to marry him either. Yeah. But they, he knows it has to it has to it has to be done. And you can see his admiration for her going, "Well, yes, we don't we don't want to rush into this. Of course not, you know." Yeah, yeah. And then Daft Woolley, who's his supposedly very stupid brother, who is incredibly stupid, but you can see him going but that's not right. Shut up, Wally. Shut up. Don't, don't think about it. It's like the one time the guy comes up with the one right the answer. The one time he gets yeah, it right. Yeah. So funny. Well, would you like to sit down and have tea and chat with any of these characters beyond just loving them as favorites? I mean, I'm into the witches. I would love to talk to them. So at the end, basically, there's a, a conglomeration of witches. I would say I think two or three of them show up at the end for Tiffany and at least to give her a, a talking to and offers her a spot at Hogwarts, which is going to be very depressing for her, which it's not Hogwarts in any way. They show up at the end, which I believe the witches are another book series within Discworld. So you can Yeah, read. so this is this is the first reference if you were a Discworld reader and reading this book, this is the first reference of characters that we've that have been encountered before, apart from the Queen of the Fairies, who, you know, the Queen of the Fairies is quite a sort of you know a character in many stories so it doesn't need to be the same one but when granny weatherwax and nanny og arrive they are the central witches from pratchett's other books and that's sort of the key that oh yes we we have actually been on the disc world the whole time it is the same place it's the same time mm -hmm. time frame yeah yeah and yeah so the, and they say that yes she, tiffany can be trained as a witch they say she'll have to leave home to do so and travel to the mountains where there are more witches and start her learning but they, they say she's not quite old enough yet don't they and she's got to sort out the fact that, that she's just brought her brother home and Roland home who's the son of the Baron yeah they seem very practical and I feel like their teachings would be wonderful they seem like they you know Tiffany's awesome and they seem like big versions of Tiffany and so I think you know if I'm gonna have tea with anybody I'm gonna go to the the actual source of the info and get that how about you, Constance? Well, I would love to have tea with Granny Weatherwax, but I'm not sure she'd approves of anyone. So that would be the thing. I just assume nobody could, approves you... of me, so it would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, tea? I think I'd actually like to talk with the Queen. Because while... Not not the Queen, sorry. That's not the Queen of Fairy, but the, the mother you of... You guys the... see my look of shock. <laughs> yeah, I'm reacting to Noelle being like, what? Um... <laughs> No, no, no. The, the mother of the Neck McFeagles, because while Tiffany and Granny Aching are very cool people, I don't 
I don't think that they would actually like have much conversation necessarily. Tiffany, maybe. Granny Aching, no, she'd be she'd sit there and be silent and stoic in her way. And that's not very interesting uh, for tea conversation, right? Whereas the the mother of Mac, the Nakmak Eagles, she seemed just, just full of explanations. So I feel like she's a great person to sit down and be like, so how does this work? Yeah, oh, yeah. Whoa. That's a good point. <laughs> I think I think with the witches, I would more like to listen to them talk to each other than me actually mm-hmm. ask them questions. Because I think their interactions are very amusing. Yeah, they put Miss Tick in her place, who at that point has been the most the cleverest person that Tiffany's met. And then the other two witches come along and you realise that Miss Tick's actually a bit intimidated and frightened of them. And you think, oh, well, if, if they frighten her, they must know even more. Yeah. And I think Tiffany quite likes that as well, because they put Miss Tick in her place a bit as well, don't they? Yeah, for sure. It's it's Well, she's not a granny either. She's like the one that isn't a granny. Are there other witches besides these three and Tiffany? There are a lot of witches, oh. and a lot of them have honorifics like granny or nanny or oh. good mother, and and it's a sort of it's a sort of status thing. So you start off as just a miss. Oh, okay. Like miss, like Miss Tick, and there are other witches that are just miss. Is Tiffany going to become they, a miss? Uh, miss Tiffany. I think she just stays as Tiffany Aching. She does. She can also be Miss Aching. Oh, okay. But, but I say she's only seventeen as the series finishes, so she probably will actually grow into an, to be another granny aching. And at this point, when she's seven, this is when Pratchett actually dies, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So he he actually died before the Shepherd's Crown was finished. Oh, okay. And his and Rob Wilkins, who's his assistant, finished it to his best of ability. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's that was the last. No, there were there were I think there were ten. 10 more books that could have been written in his mind or in his hard drive rather and they were they were the ones that were all destroyed they destroyed them but they, they they just he 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 left that he wanted his un, unfinished work to be destroyed he didn't want anyone else finishing it apart from the shepherd's crown yeah Wow. Supposedly, book. he told Neil, Neil Gaiman that anything that was still being worked on during his death to, quote, put it in the middle of the road and crush it with a steamroller. So uh, wow. supposedly, they literally did exactly that by crushing his hard drive with a steamroller okay. at some sort of fair. At the Dorset Steam Rally, which is a massive event in Dorset every year. And Dorset, I think, is where Pratchett lived. And it is also very similar to Tiffany's Which, which is very fun. My guess is that that last book was yeah. actually like... 99% done I assume yeah. is the reason why it was the exception yeah when he started that he knew it would in a way would be his last book even though he had ideas for others that were mm-hmm. that were sort of laid out in different ways I've listened to Rob Wilkins talk about this quite a lot in various different ways it's quite interesting you know how some books exist as a couple of paragraphs and some books existed as an outline and some books were just an idea in the for mm-hmm. the future but um the shepherd's crown is is an end and it is a goodbye. It doesn't just concentrate on the witches. It concentrates on so many people okay. to sort of tie it all in together. I don't want to say any more because there are some people I know who don't even want to read it because oh. they don't want it to end. If you if you were a person who only read the Tiffany Aching books and then obviously that would be the last one you would read, would yeah. all the other stuff make sense still? I think so, yes. Okay. Because it's told through Tiffany's point of view. It's still told through Tiffany's point of view mostly. There are other characters, but Okay, that's interesting. Uh, do we want to talk about any other fun fun facts or just things that you really loved or hated hmm, about this book that we haven't mentioned so far? Was there stuff that you guys didn't like about this book? Nothing that I personally didn't like. More like, well, I couldn't think of anything, so I did my usual. Let me go see if there are any reviews that bring up points that I hadn't considered. And I did that the too. only thing I found that I thought was a legitimate complaint 
was that some reviewers had problems with the phonetically written out Glasgowan uh, accent that the the We Free Men use, which in audiobook form was literally not a problem since it was just said out loud. But I, I do know that some people find it really tough when if they have trouble reading in any way, messing with that by changing up the accents. Like, I like it because it adds a lot of flavor, but I can definitely see how that'd be hard for some people. It's one of the reasons I listen to audiobooks also is because then I don't have to fight stuff like that. Like, if you're going to listen to Lord of the Rings or whatever, if you're going to read Lord of the Rings or, God, there's a whole bunch of other books like this where you have to read like 100 different elf names and they all sound the same and are spelled very close to each other at some point you're like i don't even know who we're talking about anymore you need flow charts and so if you're listening to the audiobook that'll just like you don't have to worry about how it's pronounced if there's any like french in it or whatever like it's all just taken care of so it's one of the reasons that i'm into audiobooks is like well don't have to deal with that problem i, I can be the reverse tiffany aching <laughs> i find that quite funny because the, the we free men or the nat max fiegel a different tribe of them feature in another book and i think they're even stronger stronger Glaswegian, harder to understand in that book. So I think he actually, in a way, made it probably what he thought was easier in this book, that children might be reading it and they speak in more words, where a lot of them were just sounds and accents. I mean, admittedly, I always do the audiobook, but I have read the, I have read We Free Men and I have read Carpe Jugulum, which is the other book that has the We Free Men in, and in that one, they're definitely even stronger Scottish accents. So he's, I, I quite enjoy it, but I can see that if I, but I also do have Scottish family, so I've got a filter I can I can run it through to go, oh yeah, that's how that, that sounds, yeah. or that's how that should and sound. And for those of you so, who haven't read this, that gives you, I think, perspective on how much we like this book, that the closest yeah. thing that we can come up to, come up with as a complaint is, well, you might have trouble reading the accents if you're reading the book. Like, that's it. It's a great book. And you guys know I will bitch about anything, <laughs> like literally anything, so... Yeah, I mean, I I will I will find some gripe I hate about a book I really love, and I can't find one about this book. Okay, let's ask the ex- expert, Constance. Is there anything you don't like about this book? No, I absolutely love it. I I was going to say that when I first read it, so I did read it when it came out, and it followed a book that's called The Night Watch, oh, which is I've a Discworld series one, yeah. book, and it is Neil Gaiman's favorite. Yeah, and it is brilliant. And then he wrote this book, and I do remember thinking. Why has he written the children's book now? Why has he written this after a book that is so good? But I did enjoy, I really enjoyed We Free Men, but then I must have been at a point in my life when I wasn't reading as much Pratchett, partly because Nightwatch had been so good in a way. It was like, and that was only book 29. So I think if we're now, and like the last book's book 40. But when I came back, I came back to the We Free Men and then read the other Tiffany book some years later. And maybe it's because they're the ones I've they're the newest to me I just adore them but actually the morality the human behavior the storytelling and the humor I just think it's brilliant of all the like mini series is within the Discworld books what is your favorite I don't know if it's the witches or the watch okay. I really find it hard to but the, if someone's gonna like start a series just out of the blue you think start with the witches or start with the watch I thought I I don't think I could say to any one person what I say what sort of person they are ah, if okay. it's if it's a if it's maybe if it's a female reader I would be more likely to say the witches because there is some wonderful content about the power of women and the strength of women in there but the watch books you know I when I got my partner to read Discworld for the first time I made him read the first watch book which is Guards Guards because it is about the police force or anyone who's ex-forces and he's of that 
X-Force's mind frame and he read it and he just instantly recognised the people within it. Yeah. So that was the right one for him. But, you know, I love the watch books too, but that's because I I love the whole series. So it, I think it a little bit depends on the person. Doesn't necessarily depend on the gender. That bit's not so important. It's more on what you would associate with and what you would relate to. Yeah. I mean, if you like sword and sorcery, start at the beginning, but be prepared that it is taking the piss out of your beloved sword and sorcery in a way. You know, it's not, it's not, it's perhaps it's questioning of, of, of um, Lord of the Rings was what, how did they rebuild Gondor after, <laughs> yeah. after Lord of the Rings? You know, was there a, was there a rehoming scheme for people that, you know, <laughs> that, that got, that, that got displaced during that? He wanted to know about the bureaucracy of He's the fantasy world that they yeah. always, that they always sort of gloss over and that's just all sorted out by an ending. He, he likes to look into that. So yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. So the listener knows the reason that we chose to read this book is I went to Constance and asked one of the, some of the priorities that we have for this podcast are we either want standalone books books that can be read without having to read other books first, except the Dresden Files thing that we did, and or it needs to be the first book in a series. And this happens to be sort of both because it's the first Tiffany Aching book. And it's also a book that Constance felt that could be a completely standalone book that could be read and enjoyed without having to have any other context and without having, you don't have to read on in this series if you don't want to. Like this is a complete story. Spoilers for everyone who needs to not be spoiled but like <laughs> this is a fairy tale so you all know how this is going to end it's all going to be fine <laughs> so there's that the second thing that I wanted to say was that I actually got told by several people not to read the first book of the Discworld series everyone says books one and two suck <laughs> um they're different <laughs> yeah okay I mean, that's just the reason I decided that, hey, maybe we don't want to read the first book in the Discworld series is because enough people told me those aren't the ones. Go read something else. And and I, I always tell people, oh, I'm a completionist. Like, I want to read them from 1 to 40, like, in that order. And everyone's like, you don't, d- no, no, don't do that with the Discworlds. I can really appreciate it when a series doesn't only have one entry point. That's, that's yeah, nice. I love that. I think it's like, like the... um. The sort of the guideline for writers of a TV series is to write, isn't it, something like the first five episodes as if someone might be sitting down and watching that episode first of all. Yeah. And then I, I actually say that the first five Discworld books are a little bit like that. You could pick up, um, unless you picked up The Light Fantastic, which is book number two, and does pick up where The Colour of Magic ended. Unless you picked up that one first, which coincidentally I did read that one first before I read Colour of Magic, it's, because I do things in the wrong order all the time. It's the first audiobook. That's the annoying thing is that's the first one you can get. And I'm like, why did you not make number one audiobooked? What is yeah. wrong with you? Which is, I think, what helped prevent us as well, though, from doing yeah. the, the Witcher yeah. problem, which is just because it's yeah. listed as first doesn't necessarily make it the greatest way to start a series. And because yeah. the first one wasn't available, it, it prevented us from jumping in on book one. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys re- ready to give this uh, ratings and stuff? Yeah. All right. What rating would you give it, Morgan? I would say a solid four. Not because there's anything wrong. Just it's a nice, light, fluffy book. It, I guess it could be more complex, but that didn't take away from it. But solid four. Constance? Out of what? Out of five. Sorry. Out of five. Oh, wait, wait. Hold up. We have actually no rules. Oh, okay. Fair uh, enough. I take it back. It's not there, out of five. There are there are no rules. That that was our, our statement. It was that like you it can be four out of ten or four out of five and you don't have to tell it could be four out of eight. You don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> Constance's face right now is amazing, guys. 
I was like, there are five Tiffany books, so I feel I need to judge it out of the five oh. Tiffany books. Oh, okay. Uh, Giving us a ranking just, would be interesting. So it's actually th- it's actually three. I okay. think it's, it's three for me out of the five. Okay. What? And is one the best or is five the best? It doesn't matter because it's three, uh, but I'm asking. <laughs> oh, I was going as five as the best, and that's the okay. Winter Smith. Okay. Noted. <laughs> uh, I would give this five out of five stars, actually. I thought this book was almost perfect. I don't care how it relates to other books. I don't care how it relates to other books in this series. I care how that book relates to my expectation of what a book should be. And this gets a five out of five for me. And I had—I don't think I've, I may have given one other five out of five in this series. I've, de- I've definitely given one or two. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a nearly perfect book as far as books go. Like it has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. It It's definitely not The Witcher. <laughs> uh, it's definitely not vampire porn. Although... I think Terry Pratchett could write a hell out of a fat vampire oh, book. Be, for I sure. need to see that. Damn it! He, he would... does. He did write a vampire book. It's very funny because mm-hmm. yeah, he goes into a lot more sexy jokes in it. Oh, that, that sounds so wrong, <laughs> but he loves a risque joke, which he really doesn't have in this. There's a couple of bits that I listen to this and I think, is that actually a risque joke? But because it's going to go so over a nine-year-old's head, yeah, they don't get it. Or is yeah. that just me and my sense of humor and knowing what Pratchett would do with a with a more grown up story? But I feel yeah, like he... it's like a cartoon. Like cartoons actually have risque jokes in them all the time because those are there for the parents and the kids yeah. don't even seem to notice them. Yeah. All right. Is it worth a reread, Morgan? Yeah, for sure. If I were to be reading book two, three, four of this particular subset right now, like I probably wouldn't need to reread it. But mm-hmm. I think even one year later, I would absolutely reread this and and mm-hmm. then like get into the rest of the series for sure. Constance, i assume that you're a yes Listen to it twice this year already and we're not at the end of january yet <laughs> oh yeah i would i would 100 reread this book i think it's great we don't need to know if Constance would recommend this to a friend because she recommended recommends it to us and she recommends it therefore to all of you you just recommended this to thousands of people morgan let's see yeah i would recommend it i i can't necessarily give that background of oh i would recommend this versus guards guards versus color of magic i don't have that much information but just as a pure standalone for fun book yeah heck yeah yeah i would recommend this to almost anybody unless they were no i would say anybody because normally i would say oh it's uh, because it's silly and it's deep and it's practical and it's absurd. Like it kind of anybody could read this and probably enjoy it. Like Yeah, you don't have to say, oh, if you're sensitive to this, maybe don't read it. Like, no, it's it's no. pretty good for anybody and everybody. Yeah. Constance was sending me these little text messages that were like, hey, I don't know if you're gonna like this. And I was like, dude, I love this. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Obviously. If there were other books in this series, would you want to read them? Morgan. I think I would. I don't know that I'll be able to get the chance to read them terribly soon since we kind of have other books on our plate that I'm really excited to get to. But as a eventually, would I like to read the whole Discworld series? Absolutely. Yeah, same. Constance, have you read the entire Discworld series? There are two I haven't read. What? One of them one of them's another young adult one that he wrote before this one that I've always just ignored, but I've since heard on another Pratchett podcast that that's actually one of the host of that podcast's favorite books and that's oh. called um the amazing morris and the educate and his educated rodent so it's another take on the pied piper of hamlin story so i haven't read that one and i haven't read small gods which i am going to read small gods now because the other podcasts that i'm listening to are going to do that book next so i feel 
But other than that, I have read all of the others. Yeah. Just so you guys know, I have three friends in the world who are, now four, who are obsessed with podcasts. And you two are by far the most podcasty people I know. Constance, how many podcasts are you listening to concurrently? I don't, um, I can, I can tell you. I want to know this. Because you tell me like, oh, I'm listening to this and this and this and this. Oh, and I was listening to this other one. I find that fascinating. So yeah, so I've got 46 podcasts on my phone. Wow. That's different ponds. And I, there are two on there. I There are two on there that I have not yet listened to. But the rest, I have listened to some or all of the rest on there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Morgan? And they vary. I'm curious, like, are all of those 40-something still updating and active? So, like, every month or two weeks or whatever, you get a new one and you're, like, you you actively listen to them? I think all but about two of them are still active and, and uploading all the time. Yeah. Wow. wow. So some of, them I've, some of them I've listened to all that there is and I'm waiting for more. Some of them I'm working my way through. Okay. I mean, because I only have nine, which... Now, some of that is because ones that I was listening to previously have, you know, they, they've stopped. So I've taken them off my list. I, I have one. One <laughs> podcast that I listen to. That's it. Is that is you're it wrong about? Yeah, so you're wrong about. That's it. That's the only one I listen to. And I, I'm reading it, of, or I'm listening to it, of course, in order. <laughs> I, I did that. I discovered that one halfway through last year. And I went back to the beginning. And I've now yeah. listened. To, I'm about three got about three to listen to on there the most i'm pretty sure ones. i listened to it because of you probably because i was getting yeah. on about it it's it used to be it used to be i started all conversations with i read in this Discworld book and then for a couple of years it was i heard a program on radio 4 which uh-huh. was the days pre me having the internet so my only only uh-huh. home of entertainment was radio 4 which is talk radio you do still start conversations like that just so you yeah know. and now and now it's <laughs> i heard on this podcast and it's just a yeah. variation of those three yeah that, that's that's fascinating. I'm new to the world of podcast listening. I find it overwhelming how many choices there are. I think that podcasts are kind of amazing and also kind of stressful for me because I strongly dislike serial things. And a lot of them that I want to listen to are, <laughs> they're funny because they're serial things about serial killers. Um, <laughs> so I need to wait until they're done. I'm like the person who waited every season for Game of Thrones to be done broadcasting so that I could just binge watch it because I cannot handle the week to week wait. It makes me absolutely like crazy batshit. Like I, I'm just like, I need to know now. I'm a need to know person like that. Bernie envelope situation made me absolutely psychotic for a day while I couldn't figure out what Bernie Sanders was holding in the envelope at the inauguration. I I was like, what is in that envelope? Why is he carrying that? What is in, is there like secret documents in there? Is he going to hand this off to some federal agent in the park, in the mall? Is he going to go sit on a bench and just slide something across it? Like, what is it? Turns out it's the envelope that held his ticket. But like, <laughs> this kind of stuff makes me nuts. So I can't, I can't like not have a, it done. So it kind of makes me crazy. So I like, uh, that's why I'm listening to You're Wrong About because they, you know, it's a full episode. It's like, why we do this the way we do it is that we discuss one whole book and then we're done and the next podcast can be listened to completely separately. Mm-hmm. Are you guys ready for speed round? Yeah. So how are we going to do this? Is it going to be like, me and her answering the same question or what are the yeah. rules madame mm. both of you answer okay let's go constance first then morgan on all of them and i have five questions for you so that you can give me your first pop in your mind answer nice if this book were a plant what plant would it be and why 
was going to say a tobacco plant because the pipe tobacco is quite important. Good call. Oh, I was going to go uh, Monstera because it's got all the leaves with holes in them. So you can peek through and see all the leaves below. It's on the plant, it's so that light can get through to the lower leaves. But, uh-huh. like, story wise, in such a big series where it's a bunch of like kind of small series within other series, but you also get to peek through at other elements, uh, like other characters, like, yeah, Monstera. Mm-hmm. All right, good call. If you could travel back in time and give this book to yourself at any age, would you do it? And at what age? Nine. Same. Tiffany's nine. That's super easy, right? I think that's part of why Harry Potter hit my generation so hard. The characters were my age when I very first picked it up. Like, there is something really just extra special and relatable about that, you know? Yeah, I'm actually sad because Harry Potter came out when I was like... 20 or something like that and I started I mean I'm, I'm obviously obsessed I have a Harry Potter tattoo I'm wearing a Harry Potter t-shirt right now but like it's still I wish it was that age for sure if you could change anything about this book what would it be just having just said I love the fact that you know that she's nine and it and I would give it to a nine-year-old to read the books I like more are the ones where she's a little bit older and a little bit maturer. So I, in a way, I'd like her to be older, but the beauty of it is that she grows up in the series, so she has to be nine. Yeah. Morgan? There is part of me that wishes that the whole Fairyland sequence was a smidge shorter. Okay. I feel like I did find myself losing interest a little bit as I was like doing stuff and listening to the book. I, I, I just I found my mind wandering a tiny bit, which to me tells me mm, this this scene should have been shorter or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Well, it's also like that quality I was talking about, the dream sequence ness mm-hmm. of it makes you kind of like disoriented. And yeah, I can completely yeah, understand. Absolutely. That. All right. This is my favorite question I've ever written for this entire show. <laughs> Mary hump or kill? Oh, no. Rob anybody. <laughs> Not as big as medium sized jock, but bigger than we jock jock. <laughs> And William the Gonagall. Go. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh. Go ahead, Constance. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. You say a different order of words to what we say in England. So what was it? <laughs> marry, hump, or kill. All right. So shove, shag, or marry. <laughs> shove, shag, or marry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, England is uh, more PC than us for for the first time ever, I think. <laughs> uh, there, there are other variations. Like yeah, that. sure. That's yeah. just the one that came to mind. We actually call it Mary Fucker Kill, but I try not to like <laughs> swear too badly on this. We let an occasional um, shit go, but fuck is a little bit over the top. <laughs> I quite like William the Gonagall, so I suppose. Are you going to hump him or are you going to marry him? I'll marry him. I'll have hump rob anybody, but sorry. Is it was it was it better than we jock jock but bigger? Than... Yeah, it was not as big as medium sized jock, but bigger than we jock jock actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I I guess I I like Rob Rob anybody's initiative and leadership. So I think Mary, you know, I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I I like how kind of fun and casual and excited about his name is that our long name fellow would be so let's let's give him a quick hump and then kill i'm sorry i'm sorry lesser 
McGonagall? You don't you don't go to war very often, so you don't really need a a war poet, yeah. right? Which is what the Gonagall is is a war poet, which kind of reminded me of Douglas's Douglas Adams and that uh, species in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that has Vogon poetry and it's like the worst poetry in the world and I'm like oh you could use that for war for sure I've just remembered there is a point to why he's called the Gonagall is because there was a Scottish poet whose surname was Gonagall and he was a horrendous poet he wrote one about the fourth road no it's he wrote a poem about a disaster that I think involved a ferry that is horrendous and has some of the worst rhymes in it anywhere so I think that's where why the Gonagall is the war poet is because there was a horrendous scottish poet whose surname was gonagall yeah so so when the we free men fight they send out this war poet to go ahead and read horrible poetry at their enemy and it's actually very effective like, <laughs> and, and then if to... that doesn't work they play the mouse pipes which are so high that it affects their enemy's hearing and they're defenseless as well so <laughs> the war of these guys is fantastic all right last question three words to describe this book oh you can't use the word magic just so you know Oh, and that's not three words. Oh, they can be separate. Like, you know, no, they don't have to be I, joined I, together. And I can't say magic, so I can't say that one. Uh... <laughs> this is why it's banned. <laughs> I For a while there, I was starting every single one with like, magic. magic? <laughs> we also eliminated the color question because all magic is green in Morgan's head. So that color was always going to be green. Yeah. It, I and I think in this book it would still be green, although it has its own color. Which color of magic? Is, yeah, it, it's a whole thing. It's a sort of greenish purple, so you're close. I, I think yeah. there's some yellow in there too, and it's fluorescent. <laughs> All right, I've got. Here's a quote. It's, it's not it, just slightly presumptuous. Nice, nice. Well, well nice played. Good three words. Mine are not not quite as nice. Uh, I was thinking practical witch wisdom. Yes. Very nice. Those are all so good. Separate and together. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, Morgan. Yes, Ms. What are we reading next? We are reading Howl's Moving Castle, which you all might recognize as a movie that came out and apparently is wonderful and I need to see someday. But first, I'm going to read the book, which will be fun. Yeah, the book is by Diana Wynne-Jones and the movie is done by Studio Ghibli, uh, which if any of you have ever seen a Ghibli movie is a great medium for this book. I am so, so, so hyped for this book because people tell me all the time that this is their very favorite book. It's one of the most highly recommended book to me and recommended for this podcast. We don't ever ask for recommendations. We actually have a list that's like, I don't know, 50, 50 books long already, but people send me recommendations and it is one of the highestly, highest recommended books of, of all things that people send me. All right, guys, I got a little call to action for you, which is to rate this book on your purchase platform. Also rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it and follow us on Instagram at ladies who genre. If you look on our Instagram, we do posts that will tell you what the next several books are. And we do have one up that tells you the next four books already. So we tend to try to keep those pretty up to date. So if you see a post that has a multiple post icon on it, go ahead and swipe through those because that will tell you all the next books that we are going to read. Uh, thank you so much to Constance for joining us it was really fun having a guest oh thank you very much for having me we love you Constance bye